0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams. And Todd, this isn't your first time on the show. This is your second time on the show, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Welcome back, Mr. Todd Dexheimer. Uh, So let's talk about scaling, what it took you to go from nothing in the very very beginning to having over 500 doors raising 20 plus million dollars i think around 20 million in, in equity at, on the day that record with that we're recording and just a quick plug for anybody listening i'll make sure that this comes out before the raising money summit todd will be sharing the stage at the raising money summit in october i hope you'll go and get your tickets so just go to RaisingMoneySummit.com. And you put in uh, the promo code podcast. And when you put in the promo promo code podcast, you'll actually save a bunch of money on those tickets. You get to meet Todd in person. You get to meet me in person and a whole bunch of other really awesome speakers. So Todd, why don't you give us a little bit of background and then let's get into how you scaled your business from zero to 500 plus units.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, um, background for me, you've already kind of covered some of it, but I I was a teacher, then I decided I'm going to do some real estate stuff. So I started the real estate journey back in 2008 and people looking back go, wow, that was a perfect time to start. But at the time, it was pretty scary waters. Uh, Everybody was running the opposite way and I'm basically diving headfirst into the rapids. And uh, I was started with buying one to four family rentals and doing a lot of flipping. So I, I quickly had to or wanted to scale. I, I, you know, I, I started buying my couple single-family houses, and uh, I wanted to make this a full-time gig. I wanted to be done teaching and make this a business. So, uh, along the way, I've I, I've bought all kinds of different stuff. I've, I've done some a lot of flipping, like I said. I've done some wholesales. Uh, I bought a ski resort, bought a mobile home park, done some developing. I've done a lot of creative. Uh, financing. We talked about that on the last show. Is is the uh, seller financing stuff that I've done, uh, and I've bought all kinds of different multifamily stuff, anywhere from, you know, uh, well, duplex four unit, but uh, ten unit buildings all the way up to two hundred plus unit uh, buildings. So I've kind of dabbled in a lot of different things, or and and focused on a lot of different things uh, throughout the time. Right now, I'm focusing on multifamily. Uh, doing it with, you know, through syndication, value-add properties. Uh, so that's kind of my main focus right now.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what value-add is in the first place. So what is what would you define uh, a commercial multifamily value-add?
1: You know, your, your traditional just yield play would be we're buying something for the yield that's already cash flowing. We're not going to do anything to it, uh, too fancy to fix it up. Rents are in a good place. And so that's kind of just a standard, oh, what a lot of people will call like a hands-off property, which there's no such thing, but that's more hands-off. Uh, value add would be, well, we've got some sort of opportunity to be able to raise rents or lower expenses. In most cases, it's raising rents. Some cases you can also lower expenses as well, but probably the easiest thing to do uh, and the most common thing to do would be, you know, let's say we've got a multifamily building and it's renting for uh, $700 per unit for a one, one or two bedroom. And we know that the market right now is at 900. And so in order to get it to the market though, we, we can't just leave it in its current condition We're going to have to probably do some renovations. So we probably have to maybe change out the cabinets, maybe change out some hardware, uh, do some painting, flooring, stuff like that. So that's kind of your typical value add. We're going to put a little bit of money into it and we're going to get a good extra boost in the end. What we end up trying to do, no matter what, whether we're raising rents or lowering expenses or we're trying to boost the net operating income. And uh, if we can boost the net operating income, we ultimately boost the value of that property. And the goal obviously is to boost it more than the amount of money you put into it.
0: So one, one of the things that, um, that I've always resonated with you is, is um, you were a teacher for some time and, and I actually went through school to be a teacher. So it was, it's always something that I thought that I would be teaching, coaching, educating, uh, you know, either track and field Uh, because I I thought that I was the fastest runner in the world.
1: Uh, you know, I didn't know that about you, by the way, Adam, I was I was a track and field guy.
0: Oh, we're going to have to geek out (laughs) a little bit about it. Let's, let's go ahead and throw a couple of those, uh,
1: things on the podcast. Uh, what did you run or throw? Uh, I was a distance runner. So I was doing a a lot of between 800 and, you know, two mile, um, actually mile two mile. I was a cross country guy too. So nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I did a little cross country. I did cross country um, in high school, but my, my main run was the 400. So like, I was like, I ran the four, the open four. I ran the four by four. I ran the medley. I did the 400. So that was like my thing, but I did okay at some of the other races, but I I loved it. I loved, I loved running and, and I had a passion for running and I went to a brand new school. And uh, everybody voted for me to be the track captain, and I was like, nobody knows me. Like I was honored, I was humbled, and I was just like trying to understand even why. But I learned through the years that that there's something that you people like you and me put off that that people already know that we're gonna bring them under our wing. Yeah. And um, and I've always resonated with you because I was like, he did what I wanted to do. I never ended up. I I, I did do tuba lessons and trombone lessons and stuff like that. I would teach one-on-one privately, but I, I never actually uh, started at a school and, and, and did the education. And I've, I've always been jealous of you that you got to do both. One of the things that, I've, that you, I know on your story, and I think this came up on the last episode that you were on, on for, our, for our podcast, but one of the things that I noticed you actually um, got into being a teacher and then three years later, you started to get into real estate, which again, resonates really well with me. I remember, I started doing real estate uh, while I was in college, but I, as I remember uh, talking with you before, you've, you started doing real estate like two years, in, uh, two years before you decided to kind of retire. Is that right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I started uh in two thousand eight and I quit teaching after the nine two thousand nine, two thousand ten school year. So Okay. Yeah.
0: Well that that's actually pretty simple. So when did you get involved in real estate? What year was it? Two
1: thousand eight. Yeah. Okay. I, started, I mean, I started studying and stuff back in probably two thousand seven. You know, it took it took me a while to buy my first deal to actually get that not only that fear factor, but I needed money. I didn't know how to to buy with other people's money. So I needed my own money. I got, I had to figure out how to save enough money to actually buy a property.
0: Yeah. Love it. I, in 2008, I bought a, I bought my first multi and, but, but creative, I didn't have to put money into it, but nice. Um, it was, it was all that I wanted to do. So it's, it sounds like we have a pretty similar, <laughs> a similar path. So let's just take us back to like around 2008. Um, while you're in your third or so year of teaching and you're getting into real estate, um, take me back there and tell me what did it truly take for Todd Dexheimer to go from there to closing over 500 units?
1: Um, Look, I mean, a a couple of things or many things, but I think, you know, it comes down to, first of all, what's your motivation like are you really driven to do it or you and and what's driving you for me i wanted I wanted to create that financial independence. I wanted to do something also that I was passionate about. Some people don't necessarily need that passion, but for me, I needed to find something I really enjoyed doing, and teaching I enjoyed, but i didn't enjoy all the other stuff that went along with. Teaching, and by that I mean basically the administrative stuff, the parents, sometimes the, um, you know, the the some of the other staff, or you know, uh, just a lot of little stuff that I that I didn't enjoy. So I needed to find something that I really wanted to create, and I liked the idea of creating something on my own. Um, and so I think the drive is is really important. Are, are you driven to be able to achieve something um, and and what do you want to achieve? So I think, you know, we, people talk about it all the time. You need to have goals. You need to set goals. But I I think more than just having goals and setting goals, because I could make up a goal. Anybody can make up a goal, but how truly driven are you to achieve that goal? Like how much do you want that goal? I think that's really, really important uh so that's that's maybe number one um, number two is you've got to take action like eventually you have to take action so we can dream, we can write our goals, we can do all that stuff but if we're not willing to take action by taking action that that doesn't just mean buying your first property that means getting educated right i mean you're taking massive action by you know joining a a coaching program if you're learning to raise money, you're joining your coaching program, or you're coming to your conference to learn that stuff. That's taking massive action. And then beyond that, you do 100% have to actually do something. If you're not willing to take that risk, take that first leap, um, you know, like I said, when it was 2008, man, and, and people look back and they go, oh, what a great time to be buying real estate. But I mean you you bought your first deal in 2008 anybody that was buying real estate in 2008 they were taking massive risk uh, because because everybody else was running the opposite way so so you have to get beyond that fear factor and and take that action and understand there there's 100% there's going to be some risk but if you've been educated and you follow the the basics i think you're going to have a, a pretty good opportunity for success um and then there's there's a lot more i guess but those are probably some of the key factors just right out out, out of the gate so you bought your first property what did, what did that one look like yeah my very first property was just a single family house i actually kind of bought three all at once so mm. um but my very first property was a single family house. I'll call it the uh, rental that I bought because I don't remember what order I bought them in. Literally, I bought them all within like a week or two. So I, I bought a house for like $60,000, stuck another 15000 into it, and was renting it for 1400 a month. The numbers made a lot of sense. It's, it's not rocket science right now that th- those numbers work. But again, at the time, it was pretty dang scary. The other two properties I bought was one to live in. My wife and I bought it to live in and fix it. It was a foreclosure; needed a lot of work. And then the other one was a property to flip, um, which kind of ended up being a flop. But hmm.
0: well, <laughs> tell me, tell me a little bit more about that because I think that's an important part of of your journey. So,
1: yeah. So the flip, uh, I bought this property to flip. I bought it with a partner, and uh, I partnered with him because I thought he had the money. Uh, to come up with it, he ended up not necessarily having the money, but he was able to find the money very easily. And we, and by we, I mean mostly me, uh, with him a little bit, but we did all the work ourselves, um, or nearly all the work. You know, maybe hired out some of the plumbing and a little bit of the electrical and stuff like that, but did everything. At the end of the day, when we sold it, made like a thousand bucks. So we actually made money, which is great, but if you look at my hourly rate, I probably got paid like a dollar an hour.
0: Even, even lower than your teacher's salary. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely lower than my teacher's salary. <laughs> and that wasn't very much. That wasn't very, I think when I stopped teaching, I was making like thirty-one, thirty-two thousand 32000 a year.
0: Love it. All right. So you made a thousand bucks on your flop. And uh, you also bought a primary residence as a foreclosure and lived in it with your wife. And the same week you bought um, your first rental for 60 grand and then you ended up putting 15 into it, about 75,000 and it was pulling in 1,400 a month in rent. What did you do after that? Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, so after that, I bought several more one- single families and and duplexes. I brought in a couple of partners to be able to uh, continue to grow. Cause at that time it was really hard to get loans. So I brought some people in that would get loans in their name and we would split profits. Uh, and then I really ran out of capacity to continue to buy single families because at the time you could only get like four loans in your name. Uh, it was really challenging to get more than four, especially if you're a teacher. Uh, and, I didn't know. And, and, and honestly, the lending environment was really challenging. So it was hard to get any other type of lending. So I started to flip and, and that's that's kind of how the flipping went. I started to flip properties and uh, and just continue to grow that business. And I, I took that business from flipping you know, just one property at a time, two properties at a time to all of a sudden I was flipping, doing 10, 15 projects at a time, doing 50 Or so a year. Um, And then also taking in those profits and buying, you know, some multifamily or single families and stuff like that for rentals as well to build my rental portfolio. So.
0: Okay. And okay. So what year was it that made you finally just say, I'm going to do only multifamily? Because I mean, on our last podcast, I remember You you've been involved in a few things. You even mentioned the ski resort on this podcast at the very beginning. But as I understand it and you right now, you're focused on pretty much nothing but the large multifamily. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yep. That's right.
0: So so you're not gonna buy another single family rental even if
1: it's sixty K and
0: you can pull in fourteen
1: hundred? You know what? Never say never, man. Potenti- <laughs> potentially. I mean, if the right deal came about, would I buy it? Yeah. I have nothing against single family rentals. I'm not the multifamily guy. You hear a lot of people say is, you know, the only, you just, it doesn't make any sense to buy single family houses. I th- actually disagree with that um, hmm. notion. And so, yeah, potentially I, I would buy them. You know, single families are emotion-based, right? And so if you can buy it when the motions are super, super low, and wait till they get super high, there's just an amazing amount of profit to be made in them. You can rent them in between. Uh, you've got a ton of profit you can make. I think that's a great model. Multifamily is more numbers based. There is still emotions in it. People are getting very emotional with multifamily right now. Um, but it's more of an, a a financial base. So it's it's a different business. I like multifamily much better. But would I buy some single families? Yeah, I I would if the if if the environment was right. okay. Um, You asked about when did I transition into multifamily. It was a slow transition. I went from, you know, like I said, I was buying one to four family properties, uh, bought some other multifamily properties uh, kind of throughout. And then I really transitioned full-time into multifamily back in like end of 2015. I really said, you know what? I'm done. It was honestly, I was done flipping. Mm. It, didn't have anything necessarily to do with the single family versus large multifamily. Uh, it had to do with, I didn't want to flip houses anymore. I didn't really see the value being worth it. You know, the the return on my investment um, versus my time and effort and just the head damage it seemed to be doing uh, just wasn't worth it where the multifamily made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And The reason I went to larger multifamily is because it was impossible to find duplexes and and fourplexes that really the penciled out anymore uh, because people were buying them to live in one side. And once you have that, you no longer, it it financially just doesn't make any sense anymore. So I decided to buy the large multifamily uh, and it served my investors at the time. And I had investors at the time and it served them well also to be buying the larger multifamily.
0: How did that happen? How did it serve them better?
1: Because you're able to make, I think, the returns work on you know, mid-size to large multifamilies versus like a just a duplex. Harder to make those returns work to where it's worth it for the investor. So I had a lot of investors that I kind of had built up through my flipping days. And those people all transitioned with me over to the multifamily. And so I was able to get them Still, really good returns by uh, by by going to the multifamily. Just actually, same or better returns.
0: Yeah, I I've always um, done the math on the returns for if you're if you're lending private money on a flip versus if you're lending private money. Or I guess it's not really lending, but partnering uh, as an equity partner. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what your investors were getting. Um, when I look at it, in, if, if we use 12%, because that's a pretty normal number for some of the hard money lenders, it might be nine, it might be 10, it might be 12. Some of them are higher, but if we just use like uh, the 12% and they, they lend it out, but then they get it back and they're they have to wait until your next project or someone else's project. What I've looked at or what I've done my own calculations is is like if they lend it out three different times uh for two months each or whatever that year it's like half the month they're making 12% and the other half they're it's kind of just sitting in the bank. What I mean is that would you say anything like can you back me up or do you disagree?
1: Um, no, I mean, I, I agree for the most part. It depends on how obviously efficient you are in the relationships you build and all that kind of stuff. And the, the quicker you can turn your money, the better obviously you're going to do. And so if you're going to be a hard money guy or just let, private money and lending to flips, you can do, you can do well. I'm not going to say you can't, but there's also, I would say, a greater amount of risk. And there's opportunity for loss, like you just mentioned. I mean, if you let lend out a, a $100,000 and you have to wait two or three months in between, well, sure, you made your 12%, but now you just made 0% for two or three months. And now your return doesn't look very good. And then there's also the risk factor. You know, I think there's a lot more risk to flipping a property than there is to a multifamily now can both have a lot of risk. Sure. But if you're choosing wise operators for multifamily and wise flippers, I think the flipping just has more inherent risk to it. So there's that as well. So overall, I, you know, if I had a million dollars sitting around and I wanted to start investing it passively, what would I choose? It would be the multifamily hands down. I think it's much more passive. I think your returns are nearly as good. Or potentially better, and I think there's just way less risk, way less uh, you know potential for foreclosures, all that kind of stuff
0: got, got it. it, yeah I, I do agree with you one hundred percent on 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 that, so let 's get back to the topic of of how you got to five hundred plus units yeah, uh, so we, we kind of went through a little bit of of your experience, and what would you say um, took you from from doing a few duplexes a few flips getting a little tired of flips wanting wanting to pick up more rentals but then saying how am i going to scale i need to do x what what was what was that deciding factor that kind of brought you from your your massive growth in the single and duplex area uh into kind of where you are today doing more syndications
1: yeah, well, and this will speak to even while I was building my flipping business because I went, like I said, I, I mean, I was flipping a lot of properties. I was doing fifty or so a year. I had to find employees. I had to find, you know, people that could work for me. So it, the, the first thing I've already kind of hit on is, but you, you have to become obsessed. You have to find your why. You have to find your passion, and then you have to. F- find, you have to commit to it. You have to stop wasting time with the BS that doesn't add value to your life. You know, like people that are watching TV or people that are always on social media and no offense to you, Adam, you're on social media a lot, but you're doing good things on social media though. You're not wasting your time on it. Well, maybe you are. Uh, But what I see of your posts, you're doing positive things that are helping build your business. So if that's what you're doing, that's fine. But if you're just on there searching what, you know, that and looking at Auntie May's, uh, you know, puppy that she just got and liking that and all that. kind. Of, you're just wasting your time. So, there's a lot of BS. There's a lot of people wasting time. Uh, you know, I had, uh, my my father-in-law was working on needing to get work done on his house and I get a lot of stuff done. And he asked me something about, or I can't remember if it was him or, or mother-in-law, either way they said, you know, how do you get so much stuff done? And it's like, well, because I don't, I don't have downtime. Like I'm not, I'm always moving and you have to decide if that's right for you. But ultimately it was right for me. And when you're starting your own business, I think that's what you need to do. if If, if you truly want to make a difference and want to grow and scale. You have to become obsessed and you have to quit with the BS. Uh, the other thing, and again, I've already kind of mentioned this, is you have to get smart, right? You have to read books. You have to listen to podcasts like this, go to conferences like yours. By the way, I'm going to put in a little plug for me. Uh, I've got a conference coming up uh, maybe what, a couple of weeks before your conference. Um, so come to conferences like mine. Uh, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Um, you know, go out of the internet forums, go on to bigger pockets, be on Facebook, but spend good quality time on the, the forums that make sense for you or the, the channels that make sense for you. Um, all that kind of stuff, meetups, um, you know, and then hiring, potentially hiring coaches, if that's right for you, potentially taking courses, uh, as well. So, You've got to get educated. And then the other thing is beyond like learning how to do the, you know, ABCs of real estate, Uh, by the way, is a great book. Um, Learn how to get your mindset right. Read Think and Grow Rich. Read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Read books that really help you beyond just real estate. Um, The other thing... uh, you know, I think it's important to know your end game. Uh, so where are you, where do you really want to go? And that can always shift and change. But right now you have to start with, you know, what do you want this business to look like? So knowing your end game, in my opinion, allows you to strategize the details and how to get there. It allows you to dissect everything in order to achieve the most amount of your your greatness. Your And if you can't, figure out your end game, how can you dissect it down to, to, you know, what do you do today in order to take the right steps to get you there?
0: What else is absolutely critical toward um, someone's success to be able to go from zero to
1: 500? Build a team, right? Super important, building a team, finding partners, whether they're active partners or they're passive partners, but finding people that are going to help get you there. You know, uh, if you're in this business, if you're in real estate and in multifamily, you're going to want to find brokers, lenders, property managers, um, you know, contractors, mentors, uh, passive investors, all kinds of people like that. Um, and then eventually you also need to hire people. I think that's really important. I'm looking at that right now. I'm trying to systematize my business a little bit more so I can work on hiring some of the right people in order to help me grow even more than right now because I want to continue to grow my business. And so you do have to hire the right people that your first hire and your second hire, hopefully, if you do it right, are going to allow your business to massively grow And I think it's scary to hire somebody because you go, oh man, I'm going to have to pay him 30, 40, 50,000 a year. And wow, my business is, uh, that might be challenging. But if you don't hire, you're not going to grow. And when you do hire, I think your income will go up by that amount and more very, very quickly. So I, I think hiring prior to you thinking you're ready is really important. Well, we learned
0: a ton from you today. I really, really, really appreciate you helping us understand just kind of what that process can look like to go from zero to 500 plus. What other takeaways would you like to give to the audience?
1: Yeah, I think um, a couple of things maybe I haven't mentioned. I mean, as you build your business, you really need to start building systems. That's really important. Like I remember driving to Home Depot and getting all the materials and, you know, bringing them in my car and stuff like that. It builds systems so it allows you to not have to do that and focus on growing your business. That's super important. And then the other thing is you just, you need to be able to think beyond today. Uh, think big. I mean, that's kind of a trendy thing to say, but it's true. It's okay to start small, but you've got to think big and, and really make sure you're just outside of your comfort zone. If you're comfortable, you're not growing. So if if you're looking to scale and go bigger, make sure you're uncomfortable. Make sure what you're doing is kind of just like, ah, should I, ah? you know, you want to be pushing yourself and, and making mistakes and learning from those and growing from those. But the last thing is just make sure you start. Like if you don't start, well, you're just like everybody else. Love it.
0: I think, I think we can end with that. Go to nreconference.com. Todd, thanks for coming back on the show. I always appreciate everything that you're doing for the community. Um, how do people find you? How do they, how do they find your podcast? And, uh, and then I'll let you go after that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, my podcast is called Pillars of Wealth Creation Uh, they can find me there. It's pillarsofwealthcreation.com. It's on, you know, all the other channels, wherever they're listening to this. Uh, And then you can also reach out to me through my websites, venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com. And I'm on social media as well. So they can look uh, look me up on, on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever.
0: Awesome. I'll let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box.